You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special episode for you. I got the chance to invite pro and national team middle blocker Taylor Avril to come on and have a conversation with myself as well as our DVA members. And there were some really great nuggets, some key points that I think are extremely valuable to coaches that you can teach your middles to apply to their game right away and see results. And that's what we're all about on this podcast. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 96 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Oh man, I got a great episode for you today. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of great takeaways. But before we get into this, welcome to the podcast. For my new listeners, my name is Coach Brian Singh and I'm the host of the podcast. And thank you so much for finding me out there. uh, What took you so long? You got about 95 episodes to get caught up on, but that is all good. I'm looking forward to helping you helping you in your coaching and your journey, helping you take some things away that you can apply to your gym right away, and hopefully you get some value out of today's podcast episode. Uh, And my regular listeners, as always, you know I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Um, I got a great one for you today. But before we get into today's episode, I want to read some reviews. I haven't got a chance to read reviews lately. I've, I've been uh, I've been loafing on the reviews, and I, I, I apologize. For those of you who are leaving me reviews, I read them I appreciate them. I love the feedback. And if you haven't um, given me a review, please do. You know what? I really appreciate them because it lets me know that, one, I'm talking about things you want to hear, and two, I love the feedback and I love to hear what people think about the pod because it's just me talking uh, into a mic and I release episodes, but I never really know uh, if they're resonating with coaches, you know, how they're feeling. So please leave me a review. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. And if you really like it, five stars, you know, I really appreciate that rating. It, it, it allows me to stay high in the rankings for the volleyball podcast so other people can find me. But I do want to read a couple of them. Um, so this is from Podcast One Thanks from Australia. Uh, and they just said, thanks. The podcast has taught me a lot about volleyball and they gave me five stars. I appreciate that. And this one is from Volleyball Libero 3, also from Australia. Um, this person said, the best thing, five stars. The most useful thing I've come across to help me with my volleyball. Keep up the good work. I appreciate that. I'll set a smiley face there. And then we have the next one is from Josh Griffith uh, from uh, United States, so from the U.S. Uh, When you need a mentor, this pot is for you. Five stars. Um, This being my seventh season as a head coach for a high school boys uh, program in Massachusetts, I was looking for some fresh insight and perspective beyond the trainings and seminars offered in the New England area. I found this podcast and it, it has allowed me to reflect, tweak, and alter my approach to the program and the start of the season. Thank you for all your knowledge 
College at Insight, it's like attending a coach's clinic without having to leave my house. I find myself listening twice to the same podcast to soak up as much content as I can. Well, Josh Griffith, thank you so much for that lengthy review. In addition to all the other reviewers, I appreciate it. And you know what? It's interesting. I do, I like, you know, I, I like the fact that you think it's a coach's clinic without leaving your house because that's, that show, that tells me that I'm giving you something of value and you can apply it. And listening to it twice, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I always say it. Make sure you come back to this episode. Listen to it again because there's a lot of value to take away from it. So, yeah, thank you so much for that feedback. I'm glad that, you know, I'm on the right track. And I'm glad that you're getting that value to be to even consider it being a – to put it in the same category as a coach's clinic, honestly, is is amazing for me to hear that. And I'm honored and I'm humbled by that and I appreciate that. So thank you very much, all you the reviewers. And if you haven't got a chance to drop me a review, please do. I love reading them. I love getting to see what you got to say and it would make my world. So thank you for that. All right. So in today's episode, now I was able to bring on um, a special guest on the podcast. Well, not really on the podcast, but to DVA. So Taylor is a professional middle plays over in Poland, as well as is on the U.S. men's national team. And he's been, he's been a volleyball player for a long time. 15 years, he's been playing this game at a high level. And I got a chance to bring him into my world. And he came on the he came on Zoom and got a chance to talk to my DVA members. Um, and if you don't know what DVA is, DVA is Digital Volleyball Academy, which is my signature membership where I get to bring in coaches from all over the world and really bring them into my world, give them access to my training, my uh, my resources, behind the scenes to our gym just so they can see what we're doing and all the courses and all the stuff. It's, it's, it's my mentorship program um, that I have for coaches. And Every coach that's part of this program as Digital Volleyball Academy, every coach that's inside the academy gets a chance to work with me and jump on Zoom with me and you know really grow as a coach. My job is to mentor coaches, help them grow, help them become more confident and see the game at that next higher level. So I'm able to do that through DVA. And I was able to bring on Taylor and Taylor got a chance to come and talk to our DVA members and they had a chance to ask him a ton of questions um, and he gave a ton of great value on that meeting. Meeting, and there were some things that I wanted to bring to the podcast. There were some things that I think would really benefit um, the, the coaching community out there that I thought I, I had to share with the coaching community. So if you are a DVA member um, and you were not able to make that meeting, go inside the membership and you can re-watch the entire Q&A session. It's just over an hour long and there was a lot of great, great things that Taylor shared with our members. But if you're not a DVA member, I picked out a couple things things from the meeting that I would love to share with you that I think are extremely valuable. And you know, I'm all about giving you tangible things that you can take back with you. And I think these things are definitely things you can take back with you to your gym and apply to your middles right away and see results. So this is going to be some great takeaways from that meeting that you're going to listen to and hear from Taylor. And again, if you're a DVA member, you got an entire hour of Q&A and great nuggets that you did. And if you're not a DVA member and you'd like to be, Go on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com, get signed up, and and hopefully you can come into our world and really let me let me help you, you know, elevate your coaching, take it to the next level because that's what I'm all about. I love helping coaches. So, without further ado, uh, let's listen to Taylor uh, answer some questions. All right. So let's uh, let's dive into some of the questions I have here. So the first question is from Irving. Uh, Irving said, for club level. If you have someone new to the middle position, what would be the top two or three things to work on from the start? 
Wow. Uh, well, I'll just, you know, I, we talked about this a little off air as well. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing for me is like trying to find ways to take all the knowledge that I have and how do I supplement that down to like the beginning level. So when I built, I built a seven day blocking course, when I built the course, that was the most interesting part is like, how do I break down these concepts that took me, you know, 15 years to fully understand and grasp them what's most important and break it down. To be completely honest with you, the answer I'm going to give you, you're probably not going to like for whoever asked that question. I think when players are first starting off, creating your practices so they're designed where they're not specializing too early is so important, in my opinion, for personal development, for developing them as volleyball players first and specialization second. I think it's so important to spend, you know, even if the, the, the basic structure seems to be like, I don't know, let's call it like an hour of training is like a little bit of some different things Then the last hour is like six on six. Let's just say like a basic format. I think having that time, let's call that first hour where middles are passing, they're setting, they're hitting from back row, from the front row, from different positions, I really think is like the most important thing. Because for example, my personal experience, I started out in high school, I played out, well, actually, when I first started, I was a middle blocker because all tall, dorky, new kids to volleyball start as middle blockers. <laughs> so I was one of them. Uh, didn't last very long. And uh, I became an outside hitter. And I played opposite setter in club and got recruited to UC Irvine and Hawaii as an opposite setter and then eventually fell into the position of middle. And the, the reason I think I was able to succeed now at such a high level, I would not be on the national team as a uh, traveling team starter sometimes. Uh, as a setter, as an opposite, as an outside. The reason I've had so much success as an under, undersized middle, and I'm 6'5", but the middles, at least here in Poland, are like 7 feet, 6'10". That's like the average. 6'10", 6'9", is average middles. The reason I've had so much success is I can handle broken plays. I can set balls. I can play defense. I can serve. I have three or four different serves that are all tactical that I can, all, that I can use well. I'm not middle who can only float serve middle who when he goes to set the ball everyone's like no you know like i think i know that's not the direct answer you're looking for but i really think training kids as volleyball players first is just bleeds into every other thing you would want them to specialize in yeah i know i like that i i i 100 agree we, we that was a bit that was a tough thing even at, when you get some middles at the college level to teach them the skills like man ball control uh, I like the amount of work I had to do with our middles on ball control. It was unreal this year. So yeah, I a hundred percent. I love that. All right. The second question we have is from Kristen. Uh, Kristen says, what are some practice drills that helped you the most in the middle position? Ooh, I got a good answer for this one. Okay. <clears throat> so this is again, something we don't see, especially at the younger level. We never see something we never did, which is middles blocking the ball. Here's what I mean by that most practice schedule and i say most I'm, I'm being a little biased here in my 15 years of like being coached by different coaches and different strategies but like i think that there's a big disconnect when middle blockers are supposed to be ones blocking the ball hopefully mo most often the problem is sometimes i'll go full practices where i only blocked one ball maybe i touched a lot of balls but i only blocked one ball sometimes none sometimes five when, it, when we can take time in that first hour, let's call it, and we set up drills, for example, guy on a box here, guy on a box here. Doesn't have to be, if you wanna get your kids involved, it can be also that they're hitting live balls, but middles working on reading and actually blocking, you have the attacker, for example, uh, hit sharp in five or hit sharp in one or hit two six. So the attacker has an assignment, hit this area, and it's the middle's job to take that away. 
hit into the middle, there is something so valuable about, I just did 30 minutes, the first 30 minutes of practice, I blocked 20 balls. I have that mind body connection of what it feels like to shape the ball, to get it to go where I want that feeling, I think isn't worked and worked on enough. You see so many people doing like blocking trips, they call it blocking lines where you're just like robotically moving and blocking lines, but blocking at an elite level is such a feeling. So if you don't create space for them to, to do drills, to work on actually feeling what it's like to block a ball, you can't really expect them to block more balls. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's a great answer. Yeah. You maybe just think about my blocking drill when I do some of my guys. I should start my, I should start that progression a little bit earlier, to be honest. Cause I do, we do that, but we do it in a later progression. You know, mm -hmm. you do the footwork, then you do the, then you do the read and then you add the attacker. So no, no, I like that. That's, that's and, solid. And being, being clear about like, it's not, and there's different drills you can do, but one specifically I like, I like the stuff on the boxes because this is minimal amount of people this can, but as a, for a team, I think it's really important to not just like, okay, outside, just try to score. Like outside hit sharpen five. So the outside's hopefully gonna get blocked, which means right. the middle knows what it feels like to be running late. And instead of feeling like they need to reach, they get that discipline of just being straight over and they get the feeling of blocking that ball with the inside hand. And I think that's super valuable. Yeah, so when you have, no, I like that. So when the attackers are attacking, they're specifically attacking that zone. So the yep. so they're getting so the middle blocker is getting reps. So you have yeah. um, so are you do you have so when you say on boxes, you have uh, like two players on boxes and they're the ones attacking or are, here's here's an I, again for me myself I always break down because I'm the guy to like work on this stuff outside of practice normally if I'm healthy and feeling good. Um, so to me it's like if you can get one person on a box on each box and what i like to do is i like to put a ball in six and i like to put a ball at the t and it depends what you're seeing at your level if guys aren't hitting you know sharp inside the 10 foot line it doesn't make sense to put a ball there put it where right. you see most outside hitters let's say what's their sharpest hit at 15 16 18 whatever they're capable of and then as a middle it's just like i and i like the medicine ball stuff a lot because i like I think another thing that's really hard to do is it's hard to uh, replicate game speed. At least a lot of drills that I see, they're like slow and methodical. And now there's something great about really being methodical about what you're doing and working on footwork, especially new concepts. Um, but once you master those skills, you need to take it to another level. And so to me, it's always been about how can I create something that's almost higher or faster than game speed. So what I like to do is I take a medicine ball. Let's say, for example, I'll do like five or 10 reps to the outside and then five or 10 reps to the opposite. So let's say I go five to 10 reps to the outside. I take my medicine ball. I'll do three different rounds. I'll do, uh, again, five and six, and I'll tell him before where I want him to hit. Yeah. I'll do uh, short side. I'll do in the middle of the court and I'll do long distance. And so based on what I'm doing, he's changing up the speed. So that's why I like to have the medicine ball. I jump with the medicine ball over the hands, again, reconnecting the discipline of going over the net, dropping the ball, not just throwing the ball over the net, go over the net, drop the ball. And right when I jump, he tosses the ball. So the second I land, I'm having to calculate how fast does my footwork need to be to get over. And what's so beautiful about it is there's so many times where He'll say, oh, my bad, dude, that was too fast. And I say, no, dude, that's the best part is that you're pushing me over speed. We're working at sometimes it's like there's plenty of time. Sometimes it's perfect. And sometimes it's almost faster than I would see in a game. 
that I could think I could get to. And the next thing you know, I'm working on that. And now balls I never thought I could get to, I'm learning how to get positive touches from or even block balls. Um, and I think the, that drill specifically is like, for any middle, I just, I just find it to be probably the most valuable drill that I do to this day. And not to just like plug stuff here, but my Instagram is taveril13. I've posted this drill actually multiple times on my Instagram reels. If you guys want to see what it looks like live, it's on there. Maybe I oh, can perfect. You, but. All right, cool. Thanks for that. That, that, that. That's actually really cool. I like the idea of the, the medicine ball. Drop and then penetrate to the pins. That's solid. I love that. And just to be real tactical about that too, it really, the, the point of the medicine ball, and I have other drills on there that are like, I love the medicine ball, obviously, because you get a little bit of, let's say, a fitness component. Yes. But also, the, there's something about, like, every time I teach this with, with middles, with other middles, because we do every club I go to, I end up doing this extra, and I bring in the other middles on my team, because I think there's so much value in it. Right. So it's, it's not just like throwing the ball over. It's, it's getting the ball over, and how long can you hang on to that ball over the net? So we use, normally I use like a, let's say 12 pound ball, eight, pound, eight to 12 pounds, I think is a good reference. Because mm -hmm. what the other thing that we see is like, all of a sudden I give them a medicine ball and they want to move slow. And I say, you need to be the same speed with your feet. Just because you have eight to 12 pound ball, I don't want us moving slow with our feet. The same step with the feet, the same jump with the feet, but you just have yeah. a medicine ball in your hand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Man, you had me thinking about what my guys, what I was doing in my middles this year. And it's like, what am I doing? No, that's, that's great. Okay. Uh, next question. Next question. Uh, this is from uh, Anna Williams, who I think is in here, actually. Uh, our best hitter is also one of our tallest and most athletic players. Last year, we put her on the outside, but this year I'm contemplating on moving her to the middle because of how effective I think she can be defensively for us. Our passing isn't the best, which is why I'm concerned about her being in the middle and taken out of our offense when we're out of system. What would you do if you were the coach? Uh, I can tell you when I was listening to you talk about that or say that question right now, I was that player. So I started out as the player in high, I just went to a, like a basic public high school. I'm from the Bay Area, from San Jose. When I first started, we were the worst team in school history, last place. And when I left my senior year, we won CCS with the kind of the same group of guys, just like a goalie who was our setter, like just a <laughs> little bench warmers crew. So the reason I say that is because I, I started out as a middle and then became the tallest guy in my high school playing volleyball and became the most athletic one, especially 16, 17, 18. And to be honest, like if you don't have good reception, gosh, I mean, it's just, there's a reason that like the most common theme is like serve and passes everything. And let me tell you at the highest level, um, serve and pass is the real difference between like winning and losing, you know, having guys who can bomb consistently and having, you know, three libero, three liberos on the court at once is, uh, <laughs> what you're looking for, you know, especially for me as a middle, I'm looking for guys who can pass well. So that's, that's tough because, you know, she's out for three rotations, unless she plays, unless you bail on the libero and she plays back row, then maybe you could work with, with trying something fun like that. And hey, I'm all about experimentation and growth of the game. So, and God, is it my dream that they would leave the Libero and I could play defense and receive balls truly. So I, I hope that that's what you do for your, uh, your uh, one of your players. Right, oh, absolutely. Um, another question for you, uh, goofy foot jumpers out of the middle. Um, so, you know, if you're a goofy foot jumper out of the middle, you can't be open to your setter because your, your, your right foot is your clothes. Uh, would you change footwork 
or would you adapt? What would you do? What a what a great question. What a good group of coaches you got. <laughs> These are great questions. I never thought about. I'll tell you one thing. If there's nothing more I hate seeing, it's a goofy footed jumper in the middle. I think it's the ugliest thing ever. So that's <laughs> personally. Um, no, I mean, that's a that's an interesting one, right? I mean, I would have to really think about how does, first of all, um, I'm thinking from a player's perspective and I'm thinking from, uh, I want health and longevity. And I don't think that comes with the goofy foot approach. I don't think it's, there's a reason that there's like a way that they teach approaching, you know, and I think a lot of that is biomechanically too. what's most efficient for swinging and for, for having a volleyball approach. Mm-hmm. So I would say try to change the footwork. Um, but I think like anything and just introduce it slowly, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just such huge benefit to having that. Like if you're hitting with your right arm, I'm imagining they're hit with their right arm to mm-hmm. step closing with your right foot, then your left foot, like you're open to the center, you're open, you're able to generate so much more torque and force. Like it's just an obvious, like, yeah, you're going to want that footwork if you want to continue playing volleyball and being healthy. I mean, again, I, I would have to really break down, like, what is, what does it look like when you're taking a goofy foot approach and you're turning like this? Like, is that going to develop problems for you in the future? And if it is the case, then you got to find a way to, to train out of it for sure. Um, I, I think, first of all, I think the most, the toughest part for a coach, I think in teaching reading is it's without a doubt, the skill that takes the longest to learn without a doubt, read blocking. And this is just let's uh just general like jibber jabber let's say most people say 28 to 32 is kind of like when you master read blocking so i mean i'm 30 now and i still feel like i'm working on it but in this again we go over in the course is that there's just so much you can do that are like little efficiencies so i break down like even reading reading to me is okay we can talk about eye work which just to give you a general answer, the less time you can spend on the ball, the better. The more time you can get to the setter, the faster, the better. Hitter's shoulder, not even their shoulder, just get to the hitter as quick as you can, the better. Um, but that takes a long time to get used to tracking. And it took, when I was first learning how to do it in college, actually, um, it was like, you know, you see lots of hitters who they see the pass and they see it all the way into the setter's hands. And the quicker you can learn to be like, the second you know that ball where more or less it's going, get on the setter, upper half. Don't even... You know, I've, I've tried like stare at his head, stare at his shoulders, stare at his hands, just whatever works for you. Just get on the setter as quick as you can. Um, and I, I started offering one-on-one mentorship and one of the kids I'm working with right now has that same problem where he's like kind of guessing and he spends so much time on the ball. You can like see his head tilt and even trying to get him to be like, Hey, the setter, if we, if we now we're watching video and we're watching the setter from a distance, he gave away, he was setting behind him. Like, the second he took two or three steps and he didn't square up to the outside pin and he's running like this and he starts arching his back like this. It's like, I'm already gone, you know? And that's what, go for it, Ryan. You're going to say something. No, no, no. Continue. Okay. 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 Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I think my actual answer is, uh, is cleaning up, for example, I don't want to keep saying I, I put this in my course, but it's just like, it really lays it out very clear. Um, and I think it's really useful for you guys, but talking about like, what are your hitter priorities? What are your pins? Hey, are your pins capable of helping you? 
who's hot. Like so much of, for me at, at a high level now, goes into decision-making, I consider a part of reading because I never guess. I mean, sometimes we do tactical guesses, but I never, I'm, it's, it's tactical reads. So I'm not just like, I'm gonna stay in the middle of the court and read. You know, it's like, it's 22, 23. Who's this setter gonna set right now? I'm gonna place myself in an efficient position based on where the ball is or whatever to make that my main priority without guessing. Um, and I, I just think uh, reading is like, again, it just takes so much time. So the more you can put your kids in situations where they're having to read, um, which is with certain drills, there's so many things you can do to get them to learn, to understand different cues in a hitter. Were they gonna blast hands? Are they gonna tip? Like getting them to understand those things like as soon as they, as soon as you can, I think is like, also really valuable for their for their growth in reading the middle and reading anything. So I'm gonna I'm gonna add on to Jason's question and Jason, feel free to chime in as well. So what what we what we've taught in Canada is ball setter, ball header. Very general, yep. right? So yep. once the setter, so you, you're you're gonna correct me if I'm wrong or add anything to this. So what we care about the most is once the setter releases, right? Your eyes, the eye sequence is you find the hitter and you find the hitter ASAP. So as soon as you've identified where the ball is going, like if you know setter releases and you know that ball is going to the left side, we don't care about the ball. We find the left side and our pin hitters establish the block and our middles close. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I have, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's a, as a general rule, I'm with you there for sure. Okay. I think I'm, I've started to, uh, this becomes an interesting, there's two things that I think, and I, I discuss these in the course as well. The first one is like the negative step, right? A lot of coaches say like, don't make that first step negative. It's not actually true that we find at least at a high level. So many, so to answer your question, what's hard is like, so much of it depends on what is the opponent capable of? So if we're talking about, let's say like high school or something, I would say more often than not, blindly close to that pin. Now at a collegiate level, you start to, because we're as middles, we're constantly told, just close, just close. And if you don't close, you look at position six and he just goes like this, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, you got to close or they're like, that's why I didn't dig the ball. What we started playing with at least now is the speed of the game has changed so much and outside hitters and opposites are able now to just hit really sharp angles. And a lot of times if I make a perfect read and close perfectly, I'm just not big enough. I'm not, they just hit too sharp. I'm never going to touch or block the ball. So, and this again comes with being able to read these situations. What are some classic example? A classic example would be, uh, let's call it, I don't know, what do you guys call it? Like a hut or like, obviously I'm assuming people aren't running like super fast goes, but yep. like you know, with a little bit of tempo on it, mm -hmm. let's say it's, it's a uh, past three meters, past 10 feet mm -hmm. and the ball's dying inside that hitter nine times out of 10 is going to try to bury it sharp cross. Right. He's going, he's going with his approach and he's trying to bury it and beat the block because a lot of us just mindly go to the pin or mind mindlessly, like just go this way. So a lot of times for me, I found this has been like a, I don't want to say a trademark, but where I found a lot of success is leaving a hole. And so I'll leave a hole. It's amazing. Position six loves it because they just have to fill the hole. Now we're not playing high hands. We're, we're, we're playing that he's going to try to bury the ball. So I stop and take his super sharp that at the highest level, they are guys are trained to blast off hands, blast line or blast sharp guys don't hit in six really because it, normally it's not there. So I'm playing into the fact that he's going to 
he's trained to bury this ball sharp. And so I'll stop short and drag my hands and I get so many blocks stopping short. So I know that's like a, maybe off topic a little bit. No, that's good. That's, that's high level ball. That's, that's definitely not what we're seeing at the club level or high school level here, but that's interesting. That's definitely interesting. That makes me, that makes me think of different ways offensively of what I can strategically do, but anyways, continue. No. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's, that's the point, right. Is like, you're playing your opponent. So what is your opponent capable of? Like, and you see this a lot, right? One of the hardest concepts for coaches to teach is, let's say, for example, a player learned how to jump serve, but he probably misses a lot. And then you're playing a team in high school where it's like, dude, if you just like underhand this ball, we're going to win this game because they just can't side out. But the kid wants to keep doing it because his ego is like, I want to jump serve. But you're like, you know, so like learning how to play your opponent is definitely something as a kid that I think is, is difficult, let's say, to understand even as a, an adult. Um, but I think there are good strategies to start to play with and understand. I mean, it's the same idea with the way that how the great game is growing from setter takes first contact position six comes in and now they're faking the attack and setting balls. And I'm not saying you should start training and teaching all that kind of stuff, but I will say so much of that skill comes with players like Ingepeth. Maybe you guys know, I hope you know, Um, these high level players who are doing these like crazy things and everyone's like, Oh, it's just flashy. It's also just because he's a master in predictability, the ability to predict space and time and be able to step close at a ball. That's, you know, 20 feet off the net and still put it in the court on the other side. Like so much of that comes with these drills where they're learning to be volleyball players, um, which is why I find so much value in them. And that's how the game evolves, you know? So rather than me just like, all right, I'm just going to mindlessly close. I was like, I'm not Max Holt. I can't, I'm not 6'10 with these long arms. If I'm going to stop this guy's sharp, sharp cross, I got to stop short. And then I found out position six actually, six actually loves it because now they know where to go. And I found out I actually blocked the most balls of my career or when I stopped short. So it's like, I don't know. Do you teach it to kids? I don't know where that's for hopefully you guys to decide, you know, but. um, So I think a big part of what you said is know your opponent, know your opponent. If you can know their tendencies, you can decide, um, you know, if you want to exploit a tendency going short or if you, or maybe not, maybe you do close to the pen every time because that's where they're going to swing, et cetera. Uh, So, okay. So interesting point. So another one for you here in terms of setting again, Jason, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to pinpoint cues here. Cause this is a good conversation. Um, another thing that is very common is we teach, you know, if, if the, if the set, if the setter is contacting the ball above their forehead and right in front of them, they're not setting right side. They're going middle or left side. If the setter's hips are in front of the ball and they're contacting it here, nine out of 10 times, they're going right side. Okay. Do you, do you, are you, are you okay with those two cues? Uh, I mean, I think those are great. I think those are great starting places, right? For sure. Um, It all gets screwed up when you're playing against guys like DiCecco and Bruno and Mike Christensen and guys, guys who now can take the ball anywhere and do anywhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But for sure. I think that in in general, that that's a fair cue. You know, I think the biggest one that I've seen, at least at the, at the high school level is them not squaring up to where they're going to set. And we, we actually see a lot of setters, even at, even in the pro leagues, who are just lazy and run over and don't want to square up. And it's just a giveaway, you know? So when they don't square up, they're going behind them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when, when they're running off the net and let's say they're, I don't know if this is two position two, this is position four. And they're like running, they're close to maybe the 10 foot line this way and they don't square up. Yeah. They're setting the ball behind them most right. times. Um, but as a middle, I'm keeping track. 
And so to me, actually, like now I love tricky setters, guys who like want to go like this in the last minute, they're at the 10 foot line and they want to throw something. A lot of times they'll give things away. They'll drop their shoulder. They'll have these little cues. And to me, I'm just banking. I'm like, what's this guy like? You know, he, he, when he, when he didn't square up last time and he set outside and now he's capable. Now I don't get, now I don't nudge. I stay in directly in the middle. Cause I know I can get there. The ball's still far enough off the net where I can make, I can still make it to the pin, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think learning, learning to have little efficiencies. Um, we again, talk about this in the course, like for example, where to keep your hands at the net based on if the ball is good or bad. This is a, a interesting discussion. We don't have to have it right now, but uh, another like really interesting discussion because you've had, you have people who say like, have the hands up high. What I see from most kids is they just, they either have their hands up high or they're just straight up like kind of dead or they're at their like waist side. Um, and again, for me, reading, I, I, I bunch this into reading. Reading is about efficiencies, you know? And so if I can efficiently, I, I like if the ball's perfect, um, depending on, I actually do a split. So if the ball's perfect, I have my hands pretty much at shin level. Now, if it's like a perfect pass and I'm a little worried about the middle, and let's say I'm worried that he hits in zone five, based on his line of approach, I'll keep one hand high and one hand neutral. So if he does set the middle, this hand is ready to make a touch on the ball. And when I'm reading and they set the middle, I'm just trying to touch the ball. I'm not trying to block it. So I'm here and I'm just trying to get that touch where he sees nobody. I get that sneaky hand almost under just coming over the net and I get a solid touch for us to play off of. And so that's why I keep one hand neutral and one here. Cause if he sets outside, the first thing we're gonna do is drop our hands. So my hands are too high. Now I'm in this like less athletic position to move laterally. So that's why I do, I do a split because I still feel like I'm in an athletic place to move and I can still make it everywhere. If that makes I sense. I like that. That's good advice. No, I, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are there any other, I mean, I, I just, I just spit off a, a bunch of cues. Are there any other common cues that you think are worth mentioning? <clears throat> if not, it's fine. I just think like, I'm trying to think of the most basic version. Um, and, and I think you, you hit them on the head for the most part, like, if they're taking the ball in front of them, they're probably not playing it behind. But then again, you'll see little setters who who take it here and, and will throw it back. True. So you just have to keep note. And so I think, for example, if you're playing an opponent and the difference I, I can imagine for a lot of you guys, maybe college is different. But if you're high school or something, you're not like scouting these teams. Or at least we didn't scout in high school. Maybe you guys do that now. I train I them know. to scout. I train our members to scout. That's amazing that you have that because... I'm looking at it. I like to address a lot of this stuff as like assuming you don't get to spend time watching their setter to, to find his tendency. Well, let's assume that. No, let's assume that. Yeah. Let's go with that. That you can't, you can't watch them before. Okay. Assuming you can't, to me, it's like first set, I try to get a real clear understanding of, first of all, is he a simple setter? And this is maybe, I don't want to like overstep the levels here. So let me know if this like doesn't apply at all. But like what, what, what I consider a basic setter is calls one quick, uh, like a quick attack calls a one to set outside calls a gap to play back little things like that where I'm like he's called a gap with this guy four times and set him once or none and he keeps playing back this is like a very classic setter and in fact the the coach I work with now I've been really lucky we just got a new coach out here in Poland three-time uh, Olympian Argentinian setter and so I've learned so I love his blocking scheme we can talk about this off air maybe one time but he is an, it changed like completely changed the way I see the game also um, and I get to learn so much as a setter from him and that's what he says he calls it basic setter basic setter is you play one to set outside and it makes sense and at high school college level it works really well you know keep that middle engaged here you got one-on-one -on, -one on the pin 
run that gap. He probably takes a step. He's probably not making it back. Real, there's a reason that they're, they're good strategies, you know, but once you understand, oh, this is a simple setter. Now it's, he calls gap and he plays back, but he never plays over the top. So now I have my position four. I'm like, hey, I need you to help. We change priority. And this is, we use a system, a one through five kind of system as me as a middle blocker. I make the decision and I have a priority every play and it's only for perfect pass. So to me, it's like, if this ball's perfect in this rotation or with this, like we're prioritizing that he's not playing the ball behind. So I'll call something and I'll have my outside hitter bunch with me. I'll take maybe even a step and we're prioritizing middle of the court outside. This strategy works insanely well. You're calling you it in the middle of a pass? No, you call it before you the play. Before. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So for example, like I that can imagine, let, let's keep the, I don't know this team very well. You could probably find out in hitting lines really quick that like this outside is going to be the guy on their team. There's normally like in high school, I feel yeah. like or even in college, there's like one or two, like this is who's going to win the game for this team. And so to me, I, I, if I were coaching, I'd be like, let's strategize around. And I'm sure you guys do that kind of stuff, you know, but a lot of that is like, can we take some risk? Let's say this perfect pass, uh, position four, you take the middle and I go, we go directly. Let's try it. Because if you do it like and it that. works, the setter is like, how, why did they do that? If you do it and it doesn't work, the setter's like, why did they do that? And you start, and that's my, my thing as a middle is like, I'll be honest with you. I'm a middle. I don't play volleyball. You know, it's not volleyball. It's me against the setter trying to figure out what's he trying to do. Um, so okay, I got it. Yeah. So there you have it. Um, there is Taylor answering uh, just a couple questions that I think were um, some, some important questions to address, and I wanted to bring that on the pod so our listeners can get to hear it. Um, now, I do want to talk about a couple things. If you are interested in diving deeper with Taylor, we're actually going to have Taylor back on the podcast uh, soon to just dive more into the middle position um, because, again, he's got 15 years of experience at this position, and there's a ton of takeaways that we can get. So we're going to have him back on. But he does have a seven-day blocking course, um, and it's a course that he's put his entire 15 years in uh, that I think is pretty cool. I got a chance to look at this course, and it is, it's is—it's a well-produced course. Um, and when we have him on, we'll, we'll have him talk more about it. But I wanted to just let you guys know about it because if you want to get access to it right now, it's available for you. Um, I'll put the uh, link in the show notes, but it's the website is youwont.com. So Y-O-U w-o-n-t.com exactly how it sounds you won't.com and you can get his seven day blocking course there and it's it's really really good um i, I definitely i definitely i uh, can't say too many bad things about it. i got a chance to look at it and it was pretty solid so uh that's it from me i hope you got some value out of it and like i said dva members the entire interview and q a is inside the membership so go take a look at it it's a lot longer than what we shared today and if you're not a dva member as I mentioned earlier, head on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com and let's make you let's ha, let's make you become one. All right, so you could join the the movement and you know elevate your coaching and take it that take it to that uh, other level. All right, that's it for me, ladies and gentlemen. I will see you next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. 
let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.